This is Dana Thomas, and you're listening to The Green Dream, a podcast about how to green up your life by Wondercast Studio. Climate change is bearing down on us like a mighty hurricane. And it's scary as hell, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dana Thomas, a leading voice in the sustainable fashion movement. On The Green Dream, I welcome global experts, creators, and change makers from politics, business, and the arts for dynamic conversations on how you can green up your life. The Green Dream is the podcast of hope. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and at select stores. When Russia invaded Ukraine on February 24th, I immediately wrote to a handful of people I knew in Kyiv to see if they were safe and to offer refuge with me in Paris if they had to flee. Two were editors of fashion magazines. One worked with Kyiv Book Fair, an annual literary festival. And one was Ksenia Schneider, a sustainable fashion designer I met pre-COVID at a New York Times conference in Paris, where we were both speakers. Ksenia founded her namesake fashion company in 2011 with her husband, Anton Schneider, a graphic designer. By using pro-environment sewing techniques, such as upcycling, patchwork, and recycled denim, she has made her mark in fashion, creating beautifully tailored avant-garde menswear and womenswear, all produced in Ukraine. More than a week after I wrote Ksenia, I received this message from her. The situation is horrible. Last week, my family was living under bombs, and then we decided to cross the border to keep our daughter safe. We are in Budapest now, but our lives are ruined. We left everything in Kyiv, our own production, our own store, a team of 30 members, and I really do not know what to do now. I'm volunteering, and I'm trying to help from here, and every day, I pray for peace. In April, I received a heartening note from the London PR agency, Purple. They were now representing Ksenia Schneider, whose fashion is available on e-tailing sites such as Zolando, Vestiaire Collective, and Joma Shop, as well as on her website, ksenyaschneider.com. The agency had also picked up another Kyiv-based fashion company named Froloff, run by a young designer named Ivan Froloff, who since 2015 has made beautiful clothes inspired by transsexual culture, BDSM aesthetics, and the LGBTQ movement. Frolov is available at Farfetch, List, and Opening Ceremony, as well as on the website frolov.fr. What you may not know is that before the war, fashion was a thriving and important business in Ukraine. Until the war started, Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, and L'Officiel all published Ukraine editions. And Ukraine Fashion Week, the first Pret-a-Porter event in Eastern Europe, had been an influential biannual event in international fashion since it was established in 1997. Ukraine Fashion Week showcased more than 100 designers, and 12,000 people attended each season. Now, as Ksenia and Ivan will tell us today, that has all come to a halt. Ksenia is now based in Nuremberg, Germany with her family, and she has applied for a visa to the United Kingdom. Ivan initially fled to a safer region in Ukraine, then returned to Kyiv some weeks later to contribute to the defense of his homeland by shifting his team's work orders 
from creating couture to sewing uniforms for the Ukraine army. Ksenia and Ivan will tell us today about their fashionable pre-war lives, when they dressed Ukraine's first lady, Olenya Zelenska, and pop stars Dua Lipa and Gwen Stefani. And they'll share the reality of their grief, horror, and loss, the harrowing experiences they have endured since Russia began to brutalize their beloved homeland nearly three months ago. And they'll tell us what they hope for next and how we can help. Ivan and Ksenia, thank you so much for joining The Green Dream. It's wonderful to have you on today. Hi, Dana. Very nice to to be here with you. Thank you so much for inviting me and Ivan as well. Dana, we appreciate this opportunity to talk with you today. Thank you very much. And where are you speaking to us from, Ksenia? Now I'm in Germany, in Nuremberg. I had a place here to stay, so just I'm here for now. But I don't know where I go next, so... I hope I can go back to Kiev and continue what I've been building for 10 years because Ksenia Schneider, our brand is 10 years old. So it's, I think it's quite big, especially for Ukrainian industry because our country is young country and to have a brand developing for 10 years, for us, it's huge. I know that for Italy or France, it's nothing, but for Ukraine, it's, <laughs> it's like part of our modern history. Ivan, where are you speaking to us from today? Now I'm in Kiev. It's my city <laughs> where I was born. I can tell you that my maternity hospital is located in Kiev city center. It's called Pechersk uh, district. It's a funny that 16 years after I just crossed a street and went to study at the Kiev National University of Technologies and Design, which is just in front of it. Jokes aside, I'm lucky person because I never had no doubt about who I want to become. Can you describe what happened and when you left? Oh, uh, I think we left Kiev on a second or on a third day of invasion, but we didn't plan to leave. And actually, it's really hard in such situation to take a decision because you don't know, is it safer for you to stay at home with your daughter or is it safer to go somewhere? Because you don't know what can happen during this road. You cannot be sure in anything. So it was really hard to take this decision to leave. But uh, we had the friends, a couple, and they just called us and asked, could you please drove us to Chernivtsi? It's a small city in Western Ukraine because they said it's impossible to get train, it's overcrowded and they don't have a car. We decided, okay, we will drive them and maybe we'll stay there as well for a few days just to be sure that when it's back to normal, we go back to Kyiv. So we went to Chernivtsi, we spent a few days there, but it was impossible to find a place to stay because people from all over Ukraine, they all moved there, like trying to find something safer for their families. We had to sleep in car, we had to sleep on the floor somewhere in shelters or, you know, it was like terrible week. Uh, not terrible, it was difficult. It was maybe not so comfortable, but it was okay because we all were safe. After a week there, we decided to cross the border because situation in Ukraine um, was getting worse and worse. And so we decided that it's safer for our daughter to go somewhere abroad. And we hadn't any plan 
where can we go? We just stand in a line for Poland and the line was not moving. Some people told us that they spent there like three days, four days in a line. And we decided that we should go back and buy some food at least because we don't have any food or water with us. We didn't expect that we have to wait or so long in the line. So we go back, then we checked that there is not such huge line to Hungary. And we went there. We stand the line like 20 hours and we crossed the border to Hungary. And um, I had a showroom, DFO showroom. They were our partners and they were distributing our clothes to China. And they had office in Budapest. And they wrote me like, Xenia, how are you? Do you need some help? And they really helped us. They found for us an apartment for free. They provided us with food, with clothes, moral support. It was really important that days. So we spent a, a week there and then we moved to Germany because we found opportunity to live here for a few months. So now we are here, but we left everything behind. So I have a small suitcase with me and it's all, you know, winter clothes and now it's getting hotter because it's spring and it's, soon it will be summer and we don't have any clothes for such occasions with us. It just randomly packed stuff, but it's good to be in a safe place and it's good to see a lot of support in Europe and I'm forever grateful for people who are helping Ukrainians. Yes, absolutely. What a journey, but at least you're safe. And your daughter is how old now? Uh, she's 11. A big journey and still turbulent. You're still in movement. And Ivan, you said that you fled to Western Ukraine for a while, but then you returned to the city. When did you go to Western Ukraine and how was that? So the first thing we did when we knew that the war began was an emergency meeting with our team. We decided to stop our production and then my family and I made a decision to flee because at the moment it felt right to get ourselves to the safest place we could find. Uh, it was 22 hours ride by car that usually takes, I think, seven hours. The road was changing all the time due to shelling and traffic jams. And I think since February 24th, we have not slept for two days. I took only a pair of clothes and emergency suitcase with all documents. But I understand that it was enough for me to live for two months only with this stuff. And finally, now I am in Kiev. I came here just a week ago after two months I spent in western part of Ukraine. Why did you return to the city? We decided to restart our production to support army and to try to support our team to make orders that made our international buyers. We resumed our production so we can produce some things. It's very important for now because with the help of expert, we will be able financially to provide a team and help the army, which is very important for us and for economy of our country. So uh, I hope step by step we will resume our work and do our best. 
Yes, of course. Yes, of course you will. How many people before this all started, did you have working there? Where were you making your things? Everything was made locally, correct? So our team has uh, 35 employees. Just a couple of months before the war, we opened our For Love Hub. It's creative space where our production takes place. It's located in the city center in the heart of Kyiv. So for now, half of our team is in Kyiv and we restart our work. But directly now we are concentrated on different things that we produce for army and for our soldiers. Yes, it's the main line we do. And what are you making for them? It's like bell-proof waists to protect their hearts Mm. and different types of bags for rockets, for different equipment. We produce special sizes of uniform because now we have some soldiers who have a big size or who are very tall and they don't have opportunity to buy the right size of uniform. So we see for them individually because it's different to find uniform uh, in Kiev for now. So that's all we do. <laughs> yeah. But in the same time, we try to accumulate all our stock abroad and try to restart working of our website. Now we can produce some pieces and send it to our customers all over the world. But now it's very difficult because air connection is broken. It doesn't work in Ukraine. So we need to move pieces to somewhere in Europe and then just send it to our customers. And Ivan, what are you making the uniforms with? What sort of material? Do they provide the material? Or are you just finding stock somewhere? How is that working out? So for now, it's a very difficult situation with materials, especially for uniform, because it's difficult to find in Kiev because everything is sold out. <laughs> But we also have opportunities to find it in Europe. For now, we are waiting also reopening of production in Ukraine that produce this type of material. It's like cotton, but with a special covering to protect from different things like wind and fire and other things. I don't know how to explain, but it's a special type of fabric. Do you have news, Ksenia, from your team back who did stay behind in the city and Eve? Yeah, of course, we are in contact every day. First of all, we are checking how everyone's, are they safe, are they okay? And then we just start discussing our working issues. I drove back to Kiev also a month ago to set up our production. I went back to Kiev when Kiev uh, was surrounded. So Russian army were still there. So it was really dangerous. Every minute I was driving to Kiev, I was thinking that I should turn back, but I don't know how I managed to do it, but I reached Kiev. I met with head of my production and together we planned how can we produce spring summer orders? Because to be honest, buyers started to ask for refunds and we didn't have possibility to refund them. I understood that we have to produce their orders, we have to ship them somehow because it's our chance to receive money, not to give money back, but to receive the money, to support team, to pay our team 
for the work. And uh, that's why I took this risk and that's why I drove back to Kiev and that's why we packed our stock, we packed some of our materials, we sent it to Western Ukraine. I quickly found some ateliers. Somehow we managed to restart our work. And now when Kiev is free from uh, Russian army, we can at least work somehow. It's still danger of shelling. It's still sirens almost every hour, but um, they are working. Each day they are texting me, Xenia, today we are going to work. Or Xenia, today we are not going to work because it's some danger. So we prefer to stay at home with our families because they all have kids. And so, of course, we are putting safety as a priority, but still trying wow. to work. And retailers were canceling their orders and asking for refunds. Yes, unfortunately. Not all of them. Remarkable. But, yeah. The coldness of the fashion industry sometimes is astounding. It's like during COVID when they were canceling orders in Bangladesh and the workers were going home starving. Yeah. Instead of saying, listen, we'll pick up this order when this is all over, putting everything on hold. I'm astounded by that. But not surprised. Not surprised at all. And Ivan, how is your everyday life there now? Are you feeling imperiled? Are you feeling safe? Are you feeling sort of in between? Are there good days and bad days? So... um It's very difficult for me to talk about Kyiv because it's changed a lot. Um, Oh, I think being back in Kyiv feels different from before. You know, it's my native city, city when I was born and I love it so much. But if I can say that Kyiv is like a person, I feel like right now it has lots of scars and wounds <laughs> i don't know how to fix it it also gets scary when big dates like 9th of may come as putin and other russian terrorists want to show their power little victories but they fail so they get mad and try to bomb everything and killing thousands of innocent people We did not understand that this work could be so terrible. We couldn't imagine that world leaders need so many murders, violence and destroyed cities to finally understand that it's not just about Ukrainians, it's all humanity and danger to the whole world. So now uh, I have a feeling that this war may end only when the whole world comes to protect Ukraine and help Ukraine in this war. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency, from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and at select stores. Let's return to my interview with Ukrainian fashion designers Ksenia Schneider and Ivan Frolov. Ksenia is speaking to us from Nuremberg, Germany, where she, her husband, and their young daughter have sought refuge from the war in their homeland. Ivan is in his studio in Kiev. You can find their clothes on Zolando, Opening Ceremony, and Farfetch. Ksenia, when I met you, you taught me about how important the fashion industry is 
in the Ukraine. You told me about it. And I learned also when my book Fashionopolis came out, because I had coverage in the magazines. There was Vogue, Harper's Bazaar, and L'Officiel. And and there's Ukraine Fashion Week, which is the first Prêt-à-Porter event in Eastern Europe, founded about 15 years ago, twice a year. You both participate in that, correct? Yes. Yes, of course. My career started on Ukrainian Fashion Week, on the runway of Ukrainian Fashion Week. Yeah, mine as well. And a lot of people go, 12,000 people go every year and there's a hundred designers. It's a, it's a grown into a very big thing, hasn't it? It's very popular in Kiev. It's a huge event. Not only for fashion lovers, it's just for our community, very important. And the fashion community in Ukraine is very important. It's a large business, isn't it? But I think it's still young industry in Ukraine. Yeah, so, it's growing. Yes, it's growing. I think it's only 20 years so tell me about yourselves. How did you decide to get into fashion? I was born in Kiev and I studied in Kiev and I started my own brand there. To be honest, I spent all my life in this city and now I had to leave it. So it's it's first two months of my life in general where I'm out of my home. So it's quite uh, difficult for me. I'm missing it really much. I always want to be a fashion designer. I did all sketches since I was a kid and wanted to make my own brand and create clothes for people. When I was 14 years old, I made my first dress. It was the dress for ballroom dancers because I'm also a professional ballroom dancer. <laughs> I also studied at Kiev's atelier where I met my first teacher. She was a pattern designer who taught me everything I know. So when I came to university, I know a lot about how to create clothes. And I think it's important for designers to know how to create, not only draw or create collections, but to understand technical details about how to see, how to talk with your team in the same language of constructions, technology, materials. So now I'm in Kiev, in my dear Kiev, and uh, I'm happy to be here after two months I spent uh, not here. I was in Western Ukraine, so now I am happy. <laughs> so Ksenia, how many people do you have in your business? What was your company like before the invasion? You told me you were producing locally and you have a workshop with many people. We had everything in-house. So we have our own production with 30 people. We had our own PR and marketing team, our own sales team. And we also opened two years ago a flagship store in Kiev. For now, everything is closed and team had to find some safe places for their families. So for now, only 17 people are actively working for the brand. I think we are operating for like 30% in compare before the war time. But 30% now, it's a huge, huge number. And I'm really proud that we're still operating. We're still able to produce something in Lviv and in other safe cities in Ukraine. And we're still able to send our goods. It's quite uh, difficult logistics because there are no planes flying over Ukraine. So you have to take it by car. And it's hard to find a safe way even for a car. It's changing every day. You have to 
always check with volunteers. So you have to deliver it to the border, for example, to Poland or to Hungary. And only after custom clearance there, you can ship it worldwide. So it's quite long-term logistic and quite dangerous, but still we are keep doing it. Ksenia, sustainability is a very important part of Ukrainian fashion industry as well, isn't it? I know that that's your business, making sustainable denim. Why did you decide to go into that area so early on? For me, it was quite organically because we have a lot of secondhand stores in Ukraine. It's just something I personally wear during my life, like secondhand and vintage. I remember that I redesigned it old clothes when I was a teenager. So it's part of my DNA, working with something old and bringing it into a new level. I had a brand for two or three years and my husband, actually, he was the one who proposed to work with old clothes because he said, look, we have so many old clothes from all over Europe. They all sent unwanted and used clothes to Ukraine. So why we not give them a new life? Let's recreate, let's redesign them. It started just like a hobby, I guess. We redesigned it for our friends and somehow our designs, they caught attention from the industry, from cool bloggers and from Vogue. Liana Sattenstein, she was the first who covered my design made of old jeans. And immediately we became very successful and we had to scale this handmade hobby business into real business. That's why we had to open our own production because you cannot outsource such things. You cannot find a workshop or a production who will play with it, who will cut by hand, who will create like a puzzle, you know, when you have to find proper colors and to find proper lens. And it's quite difficult in terms of uh, cutting, not only in terms of sewing, but it's a long process of sourcing and cutting. So that's why we opened this first. It was like quite small. Only five people were working with us. And like in a year, it became 30 and then 60 before COVID. So somehow we started to rework around five tons of denim per season. And also we worked with textile waste. We created patchwork of it. So we just love it. I don't know how. It's not our strategy or a concept. It's just our way of life, our way of thinking. And it's just organically happened for us. And it's a very circular way of working, isn't it? I didn't realize that Ukraine was one of the places where all the old clothes that get dumped into the charity shops is sent. Yeah, we are number one in Europe. So first place. For receiving clothes that have been given to charity. Yeah. yeah. And that's before the war, just like that. It was just already the market. Yeah, it's like forever. <laughs> Our first place wow. for years. So that's why we have a lot of cool, small brands who are upcycling old clothes. Small and big brands, because for us, we can easily source such materials. But you decided to be circular before it was a trendy thing to be. Yeah, we started like six or seven years ago. How have you embraced sustainability in your brand? I know you do a lot of made-to-order, which is already something because it's a lot less wasteful. But what else do you do that's sort of more green in practice? To tell the truth, sustainability for us is not just about how we produce pieces. 
but also how we communicate and what impact we leave afterward. It's our choice to create the best working conditions for our employees. For me, fashion is very powerful media that can communicate with people and evoke different emerging topics. So from exploring and talking about LGBTQ plus movement and transsexual culture, it was always able to write the topic I felt were important and maybe not that wide in our country. And we continue to do it now using fashion as our front line to talk about Ukraine, about all this situation with the war and to ask people to support us in any way they can. Also, as we're talking about sustainability, we produce seasonless pieces in our collection. We don't want our customers to follow the ideology of the fashion seasons in the industry. You know, we have a logo of our brand that is like anatomic heart, human heart, and we put it on each of our pieces. It's our own way to communicate that you can't put it into the trash when the season is finished. We believe that each of our pieces is alive and our customers feel the <laughs> energy of the people who created them because we have a lot of handmade embroidery and like something couture's techniques we use to produce our corsets, our dresses, our embroidery. Even on our website, you can choose your perfect measurements and it helps us to stop overproduction. That's terrific. <laughs> and you too have some cool celebrity clients, don't you? Uh, yes, we have. <laughs> Ksenia, you have some as well, don't you? Yeah. Who are some of the people you've dressed? Dua Lipa and Celine Dion. Gigi, Bella, you know, all the fashion girls. Where is Dua Lipa worn your fashion? She had a performance during some football event. So she visited Kiev. <laughs> Her stylist, Lorenzo, visited our showroom and picked up a lot of clothes. So she was wearing Senia Schneider during the year, like 10 or 15 times different outfit. Did you like how she looked in them? Yeah, to be honest, yeah. Yeah, she's pretty fantastic. And Ivan, you too, besides the First Lady, you have some star clients as well, don't you? Some celebrity and famous names wearing your clothes. Oh, yes. Our looks are worn by Dua Lipa as well as Senia's, Doja Cat, Gwen Stefani, Coco Rocha, Rita Ora, Nadalie Cohen, Ashley Benson. And also we have a lot of clients in Ukraine that also fond of our looks, like Jamala, the winner of Eurovision, Dima Manati, and lots others. <laughs> One of your clients has been Ukrainian First Lady Olena Zelenskaya. How was it to, to dress her? How did that come together? And what did you make for her? I'm proud to say that when people in Ukraine talking about the highest class of dress code, a white type, people think about Frolov brand. And it's a great honor that Olena and her team rely on us and the most important of her public appearances. Our first work for the First Lady was the entrenchment of Emperor of Japan. Wow. The dress code was white tie because the leaders of the whole world attend this event. 
We created two looks for Elena for the morning and evening events. It was a huge project because we received an express course of the colors and traditions of Japan to create those gowns. They were approved by Ukrainian protocol service, which approved it with Japan protocol service. So we chose pastel yellow dress for the morning outfit and blue color, like sky blue, pastel blue for uh, evening gown. And we also worked for the 3rd anniversary of Ukrainian independence. We created for Elena evening out. It was a black woman's tuxedo with a corset. It's our statement piece. She attended a big concert in Kiev Olympic Stadium. It's always a big honor to work with her. She knows clearly what she wants and she's a very nice person. I love her sense of style, yes. Yeah, she has a very sure sense of style, doesn't she? She knows what she wants. Yes, she knows what she wants. She's fond of men's suits. She, she likes very straight silhouettes, pants, jackets, classic jackets. Even our blue dress for evening event in Japan was inspired by men's tuxedo. Fantastic. So today is day 70 yes. of the invasion. Did either of one of you ever think it would carry on this long? Uh, I was the one who was sure that it will never happen. Like never. It's impossible that war will be in our country. So we stayed. I know that in media there were a huge, that the world going to be on 15th, then on 17th, then you should leave the country and all embassies they took back their employees but we all i mean most of my friends and my team we all believed that it's impossible and we will work as normal as usual so um when it started i thought i hoped that it will end in a few days that it's a huge mistake and it will not it's impossible to last longer uh, but yeah now it's almost second month third month i really don't know you know the time because we all live now in endless fear endless stress and you just don't follow the dates uh, you know you just follow the news it's like endless <laughs> endless something i don't know how to explain it's really uh, horrible Yes. And what do you think will happen next? If you had a crystal ball, what do you see? Do you think you'll stay in Kiev? Do you think this will sort out? Or are you planning to leave again? What do you think? It's very difficult to predict what will happen in next time because I think Putin and Russia is like terroristic organization. They show it to the world and they can do what they want anytime. So we can expect everything and we are ready for everything but now all my concentration is on the team and company i try to be useful for my country every minute to support our country our soldiers and our economy as a team we think a lot how we can rebuild everything that was destroyed meaning all that is in our power of course and how we can support the economy, be operating in our business. So it's everything that we are thinking, all of our thinking about.
how can we offer the greatest support to you and to your compatriots and your colleagues and your loved ones? I think the fashion world do not really understand what exactly is going on. I mean, on the industry level with us, we invested money into our fall winter 23 collections, but all of Ukrainian designers, we were not able to receive any order because buyers, as you know, they do not want to risk. So no one ordered our clothes for next season. So whole Ukrainian fashion industry is going to miss fall winter season. And uh, also we are facing some troubles with spring, summer 22, as I already told you. And we do not receive any government support now. As you know, our government is, they have more important issue. They have more people who needed their support and money, not fashion industry. So we can count only on ourselves. Um, maybe it's something that global fashion industry there not understand in what position we all are. So talking about support, I think as a designers, we need somehow to produce, to create, to deliver all this. For now, it's impossible to do in Ukraine. We all are united, you know, Ukrainian designers. We have chats, we have groups where we discuss how can we receive any support or how we can organize a pop-up to raise money or how can we spread awareness. So we are very united as well. So trying to, to keep going. Trying to keep going. That, that's it. I think the main thing is not be silent and talk about Ukraine. And I think very important for Ukrainians now is do not connect us. Do not put Ukrainians, Russians and Belarusians people in one line. We heard a lot that Ukrainians and Russians are like brothers or sisters, but it's not the same. We are totally different people and it's very important for people to know Ukrainian history it can help to understand why we are different and why what happening right now. Right. People worldwide have been inspired by the collective courage and resilience and conviction and resolve of the Ukrainian people. How did such fierce cultural identity develop? Where does this come from, this strength and power and courage? And what has been your most proud moment during this period of your fellow citizens? I'm proud of each Ukrainian and each Ukrainian family and each Ukrainian soldier because they're so brave and every day it's the day that show to the world how brave is Ukrainian people. I'm happy to see how united we became and how we support each other and how we feel the pain as our own pain, you know, like while reading the news you can start crying and you immediately wanted to donate something to help these people. So the empathy, I think it's very important now. And I am um, proud that we are still caring about animals, about plants. Yesterday I saw a picture of ruined house, totally ruined. And women were watering a small plant in a pot, her plant. Fantastic. It's heartbreaking, but I think it's really important to still keep something human inside, not to become evil and hate everyone, but to support someone who is in a more vulnerable position than you. I think that's something that makes me proud. 
Well, thank you so much, both of you, for being on The Green Dream. And we're sending you lots of courage and hope. We like to say this is the podcast of hope. So we hope that you all don't lose your hope and that you can carry on and stay strong. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by Another Tomorrow, a women's fashion brand that redefines luxury with a commitment to ethics, sustainability, and transparency from farm to fabric to atelier. Find Another Tomorrow on its website, anothertomorrow.co, at its flagship boutique, 384 Bleecker Street in New York City, and at select stores. If you're enjoying this conversation, you'll love my sister podcast on the Wondercast Network, Fashion Conversations with Bronwyn Cosgrave. Fashion Conversations is fashion's equivalent to Inside the Actor's Studio, an in-depth interview podcast with fashion and luxury's leading creators that explores their craft and creative process as well as their personal journeys. Find Fashion Conversations wherever you get your podcasts. Before we go, I'm excited to share with you that we have added a new contributor to The Green Dream, Jacqueline Coley the respected writer for the film and television review aggregator Rotten Tomatoes. Jacqueline will join us every couple weeks to tell us about great movies and television programs that are somehow linked to the environment and humanity. Could be Godzilla vs. Kong, which on the surface appeared to be an epic creature feature, but at its core was actually about climate change. Could be a documentary, like The Velvet Queen, about the elusive snow leopards in the Tibetan highlands. We're kicking off Jacqueline's Green Dream gig with a special edition next week from the Cannes Film Festival on the French Riviera. We hope you'll join us. New episodes of The Green Dream come out the first and third Tuesday of the month. This episode of The Green Dream was sponsored by the sustainable fashion brand Another Tomorrow, written by Dana Thomas, from Talkbox Productions with executive producer Tavia Gilbert, with mix and master by Kayla Elrod, Music performed by Eric Brace of Red Beat Records in Nashville, Tennessee. The Green Dream is a production of Wondercast Studio in association with Mortimer House. You can find us online at wondercast.studio or through your smart speaker on Wondercast Radio. I'm Dana Thomas, the European Sustainability Editor for British Vogue. You can read my monthly column, also called The Green Dream, in the magazine or online at vogue.co.uk. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, where my handle for both is Dana Thomas Paris. Thank you for listening.